Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Christian author Rick Phillips writes, To be a man is to stand up and be counted when there is danger or other evil. God does not desire for men to stand by idly and allow harm or permit wickedness to exert itself. This episode examines the masculine calling to be fierce protectors and warriors and identifies two reasons men often fail to fight the battles God has designed them to fight. Thanks for joining us today for season number one, episode number 43 of Mission Focus Men. My name is Gary Yeagle. This is the third episode in our six-part series that examines the hardwiring of the masculine heart. Two weeks ago, we saw that God has designed into the masculine heart a longing for the same kind of fatherly approval that Jesus sought from his heavenly father. Last week, we focused on the masculine drive to make an impact that matters. Today, our study examines the implications of the Genesis 2.15 truth that God placed Adam in the garden not only for impact, that is to work it, but also to keep it. Phillips, in his book, The Masculine Mandate, drills down on the meaning of keep it. He says the basic meaning of keep is to guard or protect. The Hebrew word is shamar. It is translated watch, guard, protect, take under custody, or exercise care over. So this calling to keep rounds out the masculine mandate of the Bible. A man is not only to wield the plow, but also to bear the sword. Being God's deputy Lord in the garden, Adam is to cultivate, build, and grow both things and people, but also to stand guard so that people and things are kept safe. God's design of males to be protective warriors is also found in general revelation, not just in the scriptures. John Eldridge has thought a lot about boys. He writes, Capes and swords, camouflage, bandanas, and six-shooters. These are the uniforms of boyhood. Little boys yearn to know they're powerful. They are dangerous. They are someone to be reckoned with. How many parents have tried in vain to prevent little Timmy from playing with guns? Give it up. If you do not supply a boy with weapons, he will make them with whatever materials are at hand. My boys chew their graham crackers into the shape of handguns at the breakfast table. Every stick or fallen branch is a spear, or better yet, a bazooka. Despite what many modern educators would say, this is not a psychological disturbance brought on by violent television or chemical imbalance. Aggression is part of the masculine design. We are hardwired for it. Men are created to keep, that is to protect others, in three ways. First, to protect others physically. Because of common grace, nearly all men would take a bullet for their wife and kids. When Nehemiah found out the surrounding peoples were plotting to attack the Jews rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, he had them strap on their swords and then appealed to their desire to protect their families. He said, remember the Lord and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. 
Second, men are created to protect others emotionally. Our job as husbands and fathers, for example, is to protect our children and wives from destructive emotions that come into their hearts. This includes anxiety, loneliness, resentment, fear, depression, discouragement. Consider, for example, the fact that nearly every day doubts about your wife's self-worth, if you're married, attack the most tender, vulnerable part of your wife's soul, her image of herself. Many wives default to feeling inadequate, dwelling on their imperfections, doubting their worth, or feeling quietly depressed because of feelings of inferiority. These oppressive thoughts do great harm to her soul because she is designed to need to be cherished. When you see a woman who knows she is the delight of her husband, usually you see a woman who glows with feminine charm, beauty, grace, confidence, and love for others. You see a joyful woman who is flourishing in the use of her God-given feminine gifts. Would your wife say that you treasure her? Do you appreciate her unique gifts, value her opinion, delight in the beauty of her body and soul? Are you grateful for the way she loves and serves you? Do you see the hidden treasure that is her soul to be discovered and enjoyed day by day? If you need help treasuring her more, which I certainly do with my wife, you might take a few moments and think through what your life would be like if she were killed in a car accident this afternoon. How would your life change? What would you miss most about her? When you look into her perhaps aged face, remember that this is the creature who gave you her youthful beauty, along with the best years of her life. Called to be a suitable helper to you, her heart yearns to know that you think she is doing her job well. The third way men are created to keep, that is to protect others, is to protect others spiritually. Most men would say that they would step in front of an oncoming car to protect their loved ones, and that they sometimes protect their wives and kids emotionally, but they don't even really understand spiritual warfare, much less have a plan to fight to protect their loved ones and their society from spiritual harm. So, Let's think together about two major reasons why men fail to fight spiritually as we should. First, we don't properly understand what the gospel is. We correctly think the good news of the gospel is that by God's grace, we are saved through faith in Christ's atoning sacrifice and that our names are written in the book of life. But this is a very self-centered and incomplete understanding of the gospel, the good news. The true gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. It is the good news that although earth's first king, Adam, rebelled against the high king and by that treachery lost control of his kingdom through the tyrants, Satan, sin, and death, The second Adam has come to overthrow this kingdom of darkness and establish the kingdom of righteousness on planet Earth. To follow King Jesus is to enlist in Jesus' great cause, to follow him in the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness and the establishment of his kingdom of light, 
which we accomplish only through his resurrection power. Our marching orders are clear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his reign of righteousness over planet Earth. The gospel story is about kingdom change. Jesus launched his ministry not by saying, accept me into your heart, but by saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, Mark 1.15. The gospel writers tell their readers the good news is about the kingdom. In Matthew 4.23, we read, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus himself called his gospel the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Until Jesus returns, his followers are to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You cannot be content to summarize Christ's discipleship simply as reading our Bible, being nice, and going to church when you realize that the gospel is not just that I have a ticket to heaven when I die. The good news is that the long-awaited second Adam has come to win back Adam's lost kingdom and overthrow Satan, sin, and death. As John would later write, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We are empowered right now to join Jesus' work of pressing back the kingdom of darkness so that the kingdom of righteousness, that is justice, truth, and love, rules in each sphere of our lives. Let's consider how to work for kingdom rule in a very hot area today, the topic of racism. Christians are needed today to speak into this discussion. At the core of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness right now is opposing injustice. We who have grown up in the majority culture can't begin to understand the harm to every black child's or adult's soul whenever he or she hears the message, you are an inferior human being compared to others because of the color of your skin. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that destroying a person's self-esteem is a violation of the sixth commandment, which prohibits murder. Whoever insults his brother, said Jesus, will be liable to the council. Bible-believing Christians also believe in total depravity. So we acknowledge that all sin, including racism, has permeated the structure of our society. We must take a stand against racism wherever we can. I avoid the term systemic racism because it is an emotionally and politically loaded term used often to justify the destruction of property and government institutions. But sin has permeated all aspects of our life. American institutions are not exempt. 
Opposing injustice is part of the Christian calling to seek first the kingdom of God. But the pursuit of justice as a Christian can never be separated from the pursuit of truth and moral law. Moral law, of course, summarizing what true justice and love for our neighbor looks like. Christians bring to the discussion of racism a list of truths. Here are some of those truths. First, correcting injustice never justifies lawlessness. Paul and Jesus lived in a country occupied by Roman legions who commonly crucified their countrymen without any moral justification. It does not get more unjust than that. And yet Paul wrote, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. A second truth that needs to be a part of the racism discussion is this. History records many totalitarian groups that appealed to the universal revulsion to injustice because we're made in the image of God in order to manipulate followers to commit horrendous crimes to build a quote-unquote more just society. Mao Tung lured masses into adopting the slogan, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need, including his red guard of mostly teenagers who slaughtered millions of farmers to collectivize farming leading millions more to starve to death. If you saw the 1985 film The Killing Fields, you know that after Pol Pot overthrew the Cambodian government to erase the inequalities of the previous order, he declared year zero and he abolished money. Pol Pot's young death squad The Khmer Rouge slaughtered almost two million people in the name of pursuing the utopian ideal of economic justice. The third truth is that Christians believe in common grace. That's the belief that God works throughout the culture to cause his world to flourish, not just through Christians. Therefore, we can often partner with non-Christians who pursue justice, mercy, feeding the poor, developing the potential of the earth, and standing for life. For example, there are many non-believers who are pro-life. Fair treatment of women is always a justice issue Christians should join. The next point, however, is that groups fighting injustice must be opposed when they advocate for sin. Women's rights groups that advocate for taking the life of a child, even up to the seconds right after its birth, are spreading evil. Similarly, although the slogan, Black Lives Matter, grabs our hearts because we want racism overcome, truth must reign. No matter how much we affirm the truth in its name, This organization is committed to evil. The way it incites and contributes to violence should be obvious to everyone, but let me cite just two commitments that are expressed on its website. 
from the What We Believe section, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. This is a direct assault on God's design of the covenant family. Also from the Black Lives Matter website, we foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. This destructive agenda is harming people in our culture. As warriors, we cannot allow this organization to increase its influence by saying nothing. But how do I avoid offending my black friends? Here's a thought when Black Lives Matter comes up saying, yeah, I really do believe black lives matter and I support ending racism, but I can't support this organization. I can't support their violence. And did you know that they say right on their website that their intention is to disrupt the family? I think what black kids and frankly, white kids in the city need most is a dad. The second major reason that Christian men don't fight spiritually as we should is that we are blind to the spiritual battle. We don't understand how much Satan and the fallen angels are involved in our everyday lives. The Christian spiritual enemy is not in uniform, and he doesn't meet us on a visible, identifiable battlefield. His strategy is stealth. But the historic reality is that the Messiah has arrived and has launched his overthrow of the powers of darkness to redeem Adam's lost kingdom from its slavery to Satan, sin, and death. Here are just a few texts that describe this conflict. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 2 Corinthians 10.4-5, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How can we do a better job of recognizing Satan's tactics? Here are a few suggestions. First, by remembering this truth, as stated by David Jeremiah in his book, The Spiritual Answer Book, David writes, Satan's main goal is to destroy the faith of Christians by getting us to doubt God's goodness, love, forgiveness, protection, provision, and promises. When Satan choreographs difficult circumstances in our lives, it is not just to inflict pain. It is for the purpose of destroying our trust in God. Second, by noting these five activities of Satan and his team. They accuse us of sin even when it has been confessed and forgiven. They entice us by making sin seem attractive. They erect strongholds, that is, opinions in our minds that are completely false. They tempt us to sin through our exact weaknesses and in the perfect timing of the temptation. They deny the severity of sin's cost. Satan said to Eve, you will not surely die. The third description of Satan's tactics also comes from David Jeremiah. He writes, Satan is the great destroyer. 
He wants to destroy your life through adversity and blocking the work God wants to see manifested in your life. Satan does that by discouraging you, by dissipating your time and energy, and by making a frontal assault on your weak areas. Well, tragically, Satan is succeeding in his stealth strategy. Instead of being the warrior protectors that we were designed to be, many Christian men are blind, really, to the spiritual forces harming our families, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and nation. To summarize this episode, God designed Adam to be the protector warrior of the garden. We're called by God to protect those around us, especially our families, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Understandably, most Christian men struggle to get a handle on what it means to be a spiritual warrior. Grasping that the gospel is the good news that King Jesus has begun to overthrow the kingdom of evil and establish his kingdom of righteousness on the planet helps us realize that Christ-following men are to fight for the kingdom of righteousness to prevail over planet Earth. That always means opposing injustice, but it also means protecting our families and nation by standing for truth. Historic truth that shows totalitarian leaders manipulating the masses into violence for the sake of what they sell as building a just society. It also means upholding the current truth that some organizations fighting injustice, like Black Lives Matter, are promoting evil, which we must stand against. For further prayerful thought, number one, is there someone you need to do a better job of protecting from a harmful emotion? What will your strategy be? Number two, ask God to help you identify Satan's work in your life. Then look back to Satan's strategies. Which ones do you seem most vulnerable to? This week's past podcast highlight is a study of the first two pieces of spiritual armor from Ephesians 6. The first is episode number 24, April 18th, How to Fasten the Belt of Truth for Spiritual Battle. The second is episode number 25, April 25th, How the Breastplate of Righteousness Protects Us. Next week, we continue our new series, Understanding the Masculine Heart. We've seen that the masculine heart is designed to need a king to honor, a sphere of life to impact, a battle to fight. Next week, we look at a beauty to love. No married man or future married man wants to fail as a husband, so we will dig down for biblical insight about succeeding in this part of our mission. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.